Good morning, Coastal. Good morning. Oh, come on, good morning. Good morning. It's great, uh, great to see you all. <laughs> and uh, we're so excited what God's doing here as the church continues to grow. Becky and I and our two youngest sons, JP and Ryan, we were here at the very beginning. And uh, we're excited to see all, all that God is doing here. Hey, let's, let's get into things right away, all right? Um, uh, the struggle is real. A second grade teacher, Champaign, Illinois, was very concerned that her kids were not learning the Proverbs, American Proverbs. These were not Proverbs necessarily we, we would read about in the book of Proverbs in the Bible, but Proverbs that Ben Franklin might have written or you might have found in the Poor Richard's Almanac or something like that. So this second grade teacher designed this little, this little test, and she gave students the first half of the proverb and left the second half as fill in the blank. How many of you know that's, uh, that's a dangerous thing to do with second graders, with seven eight, all right? So, so here's some of the results she got back, all right? A penny saved is what? Okay, this is audience participation time this morning, all right? A penny saved is? This little kid, budding economist, said a penny saved is not very much, okay? Uh, uh, the bigger they are, the bigger they are, the better I like them, all right? And, and, and birds of a feather, uh, this is very pragmatic, birds of a feather make a pillow. All right. Uh, you can lead a horse to water, but they always want something else. Picture mom pulling Billy through Toys R Us. Why don't you like what I got you? You always want something else, all right? Um, let's see here. Um, oh, I, I didn't know this one. Um, time and tide. You don't need it. Time, time and tide wait for no man, all right? This little girl said, time and tide clean your clothes. Uh, a bird in the hand might go to the bathroom. Don't count your chickens. Just shoot them. He who laughs last, laughs loudest. I love this. He who laughs last is going to get in trouble. All right? And one that Ben is probably most famous for, early to bed, help me with it, early to rise, what? Makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. This little kid had a very succinct one-word one answer when they said, early to bed stinks. <laughs> And then, you know, I think that's safe to share this here. I know TJ well enough, all right? You never know what gets in the mind of a seven-year-old second grader, but if at first you don't succeed, what? This little guy said, if at first you don't succeed, eat fruit. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, God's got a rhyme. He has profound sayings all throughout his word, and we are not left to fill in the blank ourselves. And God's word is very clear. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. And what? When they are old, they will not depart from it. So, years ago I read about a mom, a young mom, two little kids, had, had a dream. And in her dream, uh, sound asleep, she's dreaming that a little elf is standing at the foot of her bed. And in the left hand, this little elf was holding the hand of her young daughter. In the right hand, this little elf was holding the, the, the hand of her young son. And horrified in this dream, this mom remembered saying to this dream, where are you going and what are you doing with my kids? To which the elf replied in her dream, he said, I don't know. It's your dream. I don't know. It's your dream. And, and, and think about it, moms and dads. Uh, you know, we, we dream, isn't that right? Before our kids draw their first breath, we are in dream stage for our kids. Whose features are they going to have when we finally when we finally see them? What's their temperament going to be like? Are they going to be just kind of mild and mellow? Are they going to be strong-willed? Uh, by the way, what sex are they going to be? You know, unless you choose to peek in advance. I, I just think that's like opening your Christmas presents, you know, before Christmas. 
Anyhow, that's just a personal conviction. So, so we have all these questions. We dream for our kids. And, and then, uh, surprise, they come out and it's like, we didn't see this one coming, all right? And, and yet, we, we dream for our kids. And then even after they're born, uh, when it's time to dedicate our kids to the Lord, and it's really important, moms and dads, that we dedicate our kids to the Lord. And, and you know, um, it, you know, we don't believe that we, you know, some traditions baptize children. We don't necessarily believe that kids ought to be baptized because the Bible says that baptism is reserved for people who have said yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't think a six-month-old is ready to make that declaration, all right? But we do dedicate our kids to the Lord just as Moses was presented to the Lord Old Testament. Jesus was presented to the Lord New Testament. And, and uh, as we dedicate them, we find ourselves dreaming again. And in, 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 in those moments of dedication, we say, God, thank you for the privilege of stewarding this child. And we recognize that they were they are your child before they're ever our child. And it's a privilege to steward them and raise them in the ways of God. So we ask questions sometimes during the baptism, too, in our minds as parents. Um, how will my child, this child, ultimately serve God? What things is God going to call my kid to? How are they going to change this world? And why do we ask that question? Because truth is, mom and dad, they were God's dream before they were ever our dream. Okay? And, and, um, and we, we may sacrifice for our kids, but ultimately Jesus died for our kids. He has been dreaming for your kids since before the day they were born. You know, uh, listen to David's awe in Psalm 139. At his own birth and God's involvement in that birth. And and uh, we I, I gave you the wrong scripture on the screen, so please don't look at that, all right? And I'm just going to read Psalm 139 for you. Listen to David's conviction about God's involvement in his early life. For you formed me, my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and your book. In your book uh, were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet none of them have come to be. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, praise God, I am still with you. Psalm 139 tells us, verse 13, God has carefully knit us and knit our kids. He has knit us inside and out. He has knit us body, soul, and spirit. Verse 14, and, and in that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. David was in awe at God's awesome design for his body and his life. Verse 16, in your book, all of my days have been written. Before our kids drew their first breath, God was dreaming and God was designing their destiny and their days and how they would best glorify him as they walked on this planet. Verse 17, he's always thinking about us. He's always thinking about our kids. In verse 18, he's never going to leave us. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's a whole lot better than that scary prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. <laughs> that can freak some four-year-olds out. But to lead and prepare our kids for their amazing destiny and journey in God. Moms and dads, the struggle is real. All through the Bible, God no, pulls no punches. 
The struggle was real for God's families in the Word of God, and it's real for us today. And if we're uh, we're not if if we're going just going to raise good kids, we're not called just to raise good kids. We're called to raise God's kids, and sometimes those are two entirely different things. If we're going to raise God's kids, there's going to be a battle. There's actually three challenges or more, but I want us to look at on this journey of raising God's kids. And I want us to look at them today through uh, through the birth and upbringing of Jesus himself. I know it's not even Thanksgiving. We're going to get into a little bit of the Christmas story, if that's okay with everybody, all right? But through the birth and upbringing of Jesus, think about his destiny. His first day on the planet, angels are singing his praise and, and singing about the goodness of God and how he's going to work through his life. Shepherds, think about the shepherds. You know, shepherds in Jesus' day were considered so unreliable, so untrustworthy. They were not even allowed to testify in courts. Their word was considered worthless. How ironic that God chooses the shepherds to be the first declarers of Jesus' birth, all right? And, and so you got shepherds singing or, or proclaiming uh, praise. And then you've got uh, strangers and friends, even at day eight in Jesus' young life, he's being dedicated in the temple. And these people are prophesying over his future. They're showering him with, uh, uh, with, with pro pro prophetic enlightenment, all right, enrichment. Um, I look at Jesus the child. And the two times that we see Jesus in the New Testament before age 30, when he launches his public ministry, age two and age 12. Anybody think that's significant? I mean, age two and age 12, two of the most challenging stages. Age two, we call it the terrible twos, isn't that right? And age 12, they're just starting middle school. How scary can that be for mom and dad? So here we see Jesus at age two and age 12. This is a very challenging state, uh, stages, and they're key times in shaping our children. So three challenges. First of all, friends, the struggle is real. So we got to fight for our kids, and that's a feeling if you're doing that today, all right? We got to fight for our kids. God's parents are defenders of their children and of their futures. Let's look at Psalm, or excuse me, uh, Matthew 2, verses 13 through 16. We're going to read this together, all right? So this is the story of Jesus. Uh, now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Jesus, uh, right at about age two, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. The struggle is real. Here's another parent having a dream. It's Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And he says, the angel says, get out of here. Herod wants to destroy King Herod, the ungodly king, wants to destroy your son. I like the fact that it says while it was still night, Joseph got his wife and his son and took off. While it was still, still night, I like uh, a dad's immediate obedience and sense of urgency for their kid. You know, it's just a matter of time. And they're, they're gone, folks. They're on. They're on to the next stage of the season of life. But Joseph, you know, obedience, immediate obedience isn't just for our kids, moms and dads. Okay, I'll get the medal. I don't want to go there, all right? But just let that settle, okay? It's not just it's not just for our kids. And I like Joseph here. Let's be clear. Satan is after our kids because they are kids of destiny stamped by God. 
And the Bible says in, in, in John 10, 10, the enemy, okay, the thief, Satan himself, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and we understand the steal part is pretty straightforward, the kill part. But this word destroy is an interesting word. It means to rob of life while we still have life. It literally means to reduce life to meaninglessness, nothing, nothinglessness. Is that a word? No hope, no sense of future, no sense of purpose, just to exist while we have breath on planet. And that's what Satan wants to do with our kids. Reduce their life to meaninglessness with no hope. And that's what he wants to do with every parent and every person in this room as well. That is his scheme. That is his tactic. He has come to steal. He has come to steal and, and, and to destroy. Destroyer. You know, we've been into this for message for about 10 minutes now. In the last 10 minutes, 240 kids on the planet have died in wars. Excuse me. 240 kids have died of preventable diseases in the last 10 minutes. Think about that. He's a destroyer. In the last 10 minutes, 20 kids under the age of 12 have been forced into the sex trade. In the last 10 minutes, 30 kids have died in wars. Another 80 kids have been wounded in those wars. In the last 10 minutes, 1,080 kids have been born into that, about 100 a minute, have been born into that part of the world we call the 1040 window. If you went from, from Spain uh, to the west to Indonesia in the east, and if you went across southern Europe and North Africa, that box that goes right across the front of our globe, dominated by Hindu, Buddhist, and Muslim faiths, and the facts are 86% of all Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims have never even met a Christian. Think about that. 100 kids a minute are being born into this box where they will probably live their whole lives and never hear the name of Jesus one time. The struggle, the battle is real. In the last 10 minutes, 110 kids contacted the HIV virus. In the last 10 minutes, 20 girls under the age of 15 chose prostitution as a way to make a living. The battle against this generation is real. From a, from a from a China one-child policy to Colombia, where Becky and I do a lot of our work, and, and um, we now travel by tent and sleeping bag for the Andes and the Amazon training. Do I look like a tent and sleeping bag guy to anybody? That's <laughs> a, a real sense of humor, but we get to train indigenous leaders. Go up on the coast of Venezuela, on the border of Venezuela among the Guajibo tribe, where the enemy has embedded things in their culture that is so destructive to kids. The devil's a discipler, too. So the Guajibos actually believe if a woman gives birth to twins, there's something evil about that. And the tribe pressures the parents to kill both babies. The struggle is real for kids all over the planet. The warfare is real. In Jesus' day, in Moses' day, the world systems and the political rulers tried to destroy God's champions. In Daniel's day, with his buddies Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the, the world system under Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians they tried to eradicate every distinguishing mark of those kids marked for the purposes of God. So they changed their diet. They changed their education. They tried to change their worship. They changed their relationships. Tried to eradicate all the distinguishing marks of these kids that were marked for God's purposes. But aren't you glad God's bigger? Come on, church. God is bigger. God is greater. And what was instilled in them at a young age before they were carried off on that 500-mile journey from their homes in Jerusalem, never to see moms and dads and family again, to be trained in the courts of Babylon, what was instilled in them at a young age stuck with them and carried them through that they might fulfill their destiny in God. What we do in the early years is significant and important. Today the struggle is real. 
Satan is attacking kids in our nation through, uh, through unjust legal systems, through education sometimes, through the media, exalting lifestyles contrary to the word and ways of God through media and television and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Satan's attacking kids today through family dysfunction, through false religions, and I could go on and on. And we love to say about our lives as followers of Jesus, we say to each other, God loves us. Is that right? He has a wonderful plan for our lives. He's working all things together for good. We just sang it. But you know, the converse is also true. Satan hates us, has a terrible plan for our lives, and he's trying to work all things together for our destruction. And that is his MO towards our kids as well. The struggle is real, the warfare is real, but the Bible says God has given us weapons. Paul says the weapons of our warfare are powerful. They pull down strongholds, and we need to fight for the destiny of our kids. And the first place we begin the fight is on our knees. God hears parents' prayers. God listens to grandparents' prayers. We begin the fight on our knees. So, so this struggle I'm describing here in this first point is a parent-devil struggle first. We fight a battle there, and the struggle is real. And like shepherds in Jesus' day, well, Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they what? Comfort me, isn't that right? Every parent is like a shepherd in their home. And God puts in your hand a rod and a staff, a rod to defend, a staff to lead. And God has given us these two tools. And as we operate in them, it brings great comfort and encouragement to our kids. Mom, Dad, Coastal, God has given you everything you need to win the battle for the next generation of kids at Coastal. Secondly, as Mary and Joseph are, are, are uh, fighting for Jesus' destiny, we see Jesus at age 12, and he's growing in awareness of his divine purpose. I love this. The story, uh, you know, uh, it's Passover time. The, 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 the family, along with a caravan from their hometown of Nazareth, they leave. They travel to the big city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem swells to over a million people for a week of celebration of Passover. When it's time to go home, uh, you know, they're, they're work, working their way back. It takes three days to get back. And, and, and uh, along the way, uh, well, Mom and Dad, you ever have one of those aha moments where you look at your spouse and you say, I thought they were with you. What do you mean you don't have them? All right? And that's what's going on here with Mary and Joseph. And catch this. It was three days before they ever realized Jesus wasn't with them. That gives me hope. If God can entrust babies, you know, Jesus into the hands of such imperfect parents. And we've said, Becky and I have said to uh, teenagers, parents of teenagers and the teenagers themselves over the years, you know, parents aren't perfect, just necessary. Mary and Joseph were not perfect, just necessary in the development of Jesus. Mom and dad, you are not, God does not expect you to be perfect. You're just necessary. Don't let your teens make you feel like you've got to get everything right or they get to check out on you. That's not fair. Parents, in God's eyes, don't need to be perfect. You're just necessary. And, and here's Jesus, the middle schooler. And they find him in the temple. And he's reasoning with the priests at age 12. And, and, and um, here's a 12-year-old. When they finally find him, he says, why are you looking for me? Don't you know I had to be about my father's business or involved in my father's affairs? Speaking of God as Heavenly Father. This is Jesus is 12, at 12. And I think, in, you know, you know, when he was saying this, was mom and dad did his voice crack? I mean, it's like, did he, did he say, I've got to be about my father's business. You know, is he, 
You know, did, when you start to get zits, come on, he faced everything we faced in life. Isn't that right? Jesus at 12. Um, was he a strong-willed kid? Was he driving his mother crazy? I mean, I mean, Mary, when she finally finds him, she said, son, why are you treating us this way? Don't you know, mom? I got to be up my father's business. And, and uh, as we read the rest of that passage, look at Luke chapter 2 with me, verses 51 and 52, all right? This is as they head back home. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus. And he continued, catch this, in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing four ways, in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and with men. Uh, this caught my attention. He continued in subjection to them. He continued at age 12 in submission to his mom and dad. He continued honoring them. Wow. The struggle is real. So we have to conquer our kids. And I chose that word very carefully, mom and dad. God's parents are disciplinarians. And if the first struggle was a parent-devil struggle, this is obviously a parent-child struggle. The first five years, mom and dad, you've got to win it, all right? Uh, this is what we call the stand-against stage. We're doing everything we can to bring their will into subjection of the will of the parent because it's crucial that their will is bent to your will. And, and we, whatever it takes... The goal of the first five years is to conquer your child's will without bruising their spirit. And that's a little tricky, all right? And it takes a lot of prayer. But, but, but think about it. If they never have their will bent to your will, and it doesn't get easier as they get older if you don't capture it in the first five years. If their will is not bent to your will, then how in the world will they ever serve the will of God one day? Because he's a disciplinarian and not just a fun heavenly father. He's got a plan, but it requires them to yield to his will. And if they never are, are, are forced to yield to mom and dad's will, so whatever it takes, break their will without bruising their spirit. And ask God for help on that. We can't go further into that. But but let's just say for Becky and I, we, we say it this way. we Out of our four kids, we raised three and we reared one. And the one we reared wasn't JP, all right? Just, just to be clear. Allison, we got some stories to tell later. Can we work that? But, uh, but JP, he was, you know, as a little guy, he was just really a sensitive kid. And, uh, and yet, uh, I, we still had to correct him from time to time. He, he, you know, the, you, this is where those scriptures come in, spare the rod and spoil the child, or foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, those kind of things, all right? And so uh, we're at Dillard's one day and we're, we're shopping trying to wrap up some things and, the, and the, he and his little brother Ryan bored to tears and uh, so they start playing in the clothing racks and this rounder of clothes the shirts I see the rack begin to move because they're shorter than the rounder all right and these guys knock it off we're almost done come on out and they come out and you know a few seconds later they're back in back in the clothing rack again and I, I had had it I, I got a long fuse but when I've had it I've had it and so I reached in and I found a head of hair and, and I didn't jerk real hard. I just simply, gently guided that head of hair out, not knowing which one it was. And it was JP. And, and, and he gets out, and, and being the sensitive kid he is, first he looks to the left and right really quick. Did anybody see this happening? Because he's really embarrassed right now. 
Okay, and then he looks up at me and he says this, tears already streaming down his cheeks. Daddy, you were wrong. What do you do with that? Everything within me wanted to say, hey, I'm the dad, you're the kid, you don't, but I had this sense of another father looking over my shoulder, my heavenly father saying, I'm, I'm watching to see how you handle this right now, son. Because knowing how God had wired him sensitively, I was wrong to challenge him and discipline him that way. So um, I got down on one knee and I looked JP eye to eye and I said, son, you're right. Daddy was wrong. I'll never do that to you again. God's help. The next time, I will take you in the bathroom and I will beat the ever living. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, but if our kids don't learn to obey and yield to you as mom and dad, how are they ever going to learn to yield uh, to and obey God, who has a big, big dream of their lives? And I want to say the goal of all discipline, mom and dad. I mean, think about this. You don't want to be doing this when they're 18 or 20 years old. The goal of all discipline is self-discipline. We discipline our kids so that hopefully over time, the, the, the constraints go inward and personal so that they begin to discipline themselves and bring themselves under the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ. Well, if, um, uh, if the, if the uh, preschool zero to five stage is the stand against stage, then age six to 11, elementary school, we would call this maybe the work with stage. And the goal of this stage is, uh, is um, shaping our kids and helping them learn to cooperate with parents and with others. Age 12 to college then, we call this the prepared to go stage. The goal of this stage, we don't have time to get into these two stages, but the goal of this stage is God dependence, not independence. They have learned to lean on God and to trust him for everything they need. The goal is God dependence and emancipation, hallelujah. When Ryan, our youngest, went out the door to go to college, gave him a hug, shed a tear, closed the door, high-fived each other, and gave a hug. Sound cruel? Wait till you get there, all right? So uh, uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This is all about uh, raising kids. And Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, or do not exasperate your kids, another version says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And it begs the question, how do we exasperate our kids? How do we frustrate our kids? We frustrate our kids when we correct them on things that we never trained them in in the first place. That's a frustrating, I mean, on the job, isn't that a frustrating thing? You get corrected by a boss and you never knew that was part of the deal in the first place? So we frustrate our kids when we correct them without ever instructing them or teaching them in the first place. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, this this uh, question, how do we how do we discipline our kids? And I, I want to encourage you to think of discipline on three levels. We first discipline through instruction. We instruct them, and then we train them because instruction and training are two different things. Instruction, we say this is what I want you to do. Training them, we show them how we want it done. And then after we've instructed and trained, if they're not following through, if they're not obeying, that's where correction comes in. Do you understand the three levels of correct discipline? It's instruction, training, and correction. And in that way, we will not exasperate our kids, all right? So as, uh, as Mary and Joseph um, developed Jesus, he had this growing conviction. We read it. Don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? I love this. At age 12, two things were emerging in the life of Jesus, and I think they're crucial as kids move into the teen years. First of all, he said, my father's business. 
which helps me realize because he said fathers that he realized he had divine parentage. How important is that? That beyond earthly parents, he had a father in heaven that loved him and had a big plan for his life. But he said my father's business. And that business has this sense of not only do I have divine parentage, but I've got divine purpose as well. And moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, if you want to help your kids navigate the teen years successfully, one of the best things you can do with, for them is to instill in them that they have divine parentage and divine purpose. That will, help them carry, that will help carry them through a lot of the challenges of the teen years. So here's Jesus at 12. He's under parental authority. He's under parental leadership. And he's growing in four ways. He's growing in wisdom. He's growing intellectually. He's growing in stature. He's growing physically. He, he's growing in favor with God. He's growing spiritually. And he's growing in favor with man. He's growing relationally. This becomes a really cool grid bomb and dad to say, how are our kids growing? And it's significant, I think, that we see him at age 12. Finally, the struggle is real. So we must train our kids because God's parents are developers. God's parents are developers. Let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 6, a very familiar proverb. We quoted it earlier. Tramp a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me say right up front here, all right? Um, train up a child in the way he should go. This scripture has nothing to do with heaven and where they will spend eternity, but it's all about mom and dad, us becoming a student of our kids. And I would call this the parent... Uh, destiny struggle okay train up a child in the way he should go means that we train them up in keeping with their giftings their passions their divine design how god has wired them as an individual as we study our kids we begin to notice this is how god has shaped my son this is how god has shaped my daughter this is what they're good at this is what they love and we cooperate with that divine design and when they're old they will not depart from from what god has prepared them for how they are ultimately going to receive glory He's going to receive glory through their lives. We prepare them for their role in the Father's business. Back to JP. He's here so I can pick on him this morning. As a little kid, we called him Inspector Gadget. He loved taking things apart. Struggled with getting them back together again. He loved taking things apart. In that. And we called him our hands kid because uh, he was so industrious. And About age 10, he... Uh, he saved some money. He bought, like all 10-year-olds, he bought a leaf blower. <laughs> he decided to start a little business in the neighborhood blowing leaves to save money because he wanted to buy a video camera. And ultimately, he bought a video camera and started making some really goofy, cheesy movies with his friends and cousins, all right? You may want to check those out sometime. Uh, but, but as he's making these cheesy movies, passion and gifting began to emerge. And there's a growing awareness for Becky and I. This isn't just something he likes. It's not even something he's just becoming kind of good at. But is this something that God has put in him, the way God made him, and how he will ultimately serve and give God glory through his life? And today he travels the world making film for God. Remember his junior year of high school, he playing varsity baseball, got hit in the eye with a baseball. Things swelled up incredibly. And we were worried, got into the doctor, and the doctor said everything looks okay, but just wait for the swelling to go down, so on and so forth. Six months later in the fall, he was coming home from varsity soccer practice his senior year, and he gets home, and he says, Mom, I, I can't see. 
I can't, I can't see from here on up. It's just, it's just black. Immediately, we got him to the emergency room and realized that the doctors a few months previous had missed the fact that there was retina damage. And playing soccer, that retina finally detached. Got into the Cleveland Clinic there where he grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and, and saw Dr. Sears' world-renowned in eye care. And Dr. Sears was the one that performed this, the surgery. And guys, it didn't work. And at that moment, Becky and I said, okay, this isn't just about an injury. This is about a destiny. This is an attack on one who has been called of God to serve God with his eyes. We went to prayer. We went into the next consultation. Dr. Sears said the next step is invasive surgery. Out of that, there could be glaucoma, there could be cataracts, he could lose sight in his eye. While we're sitting in consultation, there was a, a, a young doctor actually from Russia. He'd been a doctor in Russia, came to the States, he had to requalify in some areas. So he was shadowing Dr. Sears, and during that consultation, this Russian doctor said to Dr. Sears, Dr. Sears, have you ever thought about doing this? Dr. Sears said, I, I never thought about that. His suggestion saved our son's eye. And we knew it was God. And we knew it was an answer to prayer. And the rest is history. <laughs> Parents, as your kids grow, I, I, I encourage you not just to think in terms of career tracks and what job they're going to do. Help your students to think outside of career tracks. You know, career tracks are things that guidance counselors help us figure out what we'll, we think we'll be happiest in a job, okay, or make the most money. But God's not in the career tracks, he's in the callings. He's called every one of our kids, every one of Coastal's kids. He has a plan, he has a design. Let's help them find the big calling and the big dream that God has for their lives. That's so much more than just picking out a career track. And they were his kids, remember, before they were ever ours. They were his dream before they were ever ours. The struggle's real. The parent-Satan struggle is real. The parent-child struggle is real. And the parent-destiny struggle is real, too, because as God begins to speak to our kids and the dream and the plan he has for them, that could be big dreams of faraway places. And as a mom and dad, you, it's tough. You know, we have four kids serving God all over the world now. And when you love it and you hate it at the same time, because we're able to get together about once every 18 months as a family, and it stinks. But when they're doing exactly what God has called them to do, and fulfilled in that calling, and, and lives are changing, and nations are changing, because they're fulfilling God's dream for their life, and not something I had in mind, there's nothing like it in the world. The devil-parent struggle is real. The parent-child struggle is real. And for parents, our struggle with our kids' destiny, that is very real as well. But they're his kids before they're our kids. So our kids, your kids, they can fulfill destiny and give God glory through their lives as we continually give them to him and ask God for help as moms and dads in the struggle. Not just raising good kids, but in the struggle of raising God's kids for his glory. Amen, Coastal? Yes, you do. Where's moms and dads at? Raise your hands up. I can't see how many moms and dads. There we go. There's quite a few of you in here today. 
you know, I, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for your kids. And uh, raise those up one more time. You know, in fact, if you're sitting by a mom and dad, just make sure we put a hand on the shoulder, right? Let's, let's pray for moms and dads today. Grandmas and grandpas, you're in on this too. You may not have kids yet. I just want to say this. I, I pray because I'm so bad about the dreams that this generation still has. I pray that beyond where my human words can reach today, that, that God by his spirit will continue to speak to us. That God will give us revelation on how we can best steward and raise our kids. And out of that revelation, here's the tricky part, then mom and dad, we got to obey. Isn't that right? What he shows us. And as God gives revelation and as we obey, then, then the cool byproduct is that there's transformation. There's transformation in our lives as moms and dads. There's transformation in our kids as they're blessed because the best thing we can do for our kids ever is to obey God. So, Father, I pray right now for every mom and dad in this room. Father, we just ask for grace, outside help, because the struggle is beyond us. But praise God, by your spirit and by your word and by the community of faith that surrounds us, we are more than conquerors and we can raise your kids for your glory. Father, I pray that the kids that you put into Coastal, Father, I, I pray um, like, like young Daniel that they will serve your purposes and shake kingdoms for your glory. God, I pray like young Esther that they will take courageous steps and be deliverers for a lot of people caught in darkness and in evil schemes, God. I pray like the sons of Issachar, the kids of Coastal, well, one day they'll know the times and the season, what's going on on the planet and how their lives fit into it for your glory. And God, we pray for our kids, like young David, that they, as the Bible says of David, he served the purposes of God in his generation. God, may a generation rise up from coastal that serves your purposes all over the world in their generation. May they be a part of wrapping up your plan for planet Earth. We pray, God, we trust you. We need you. We look to you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your strength. And we, we thank you that you will give us all the tools that we need to raise a generation of world changers for you. We commit our kids to you for the purposes of Christ. And we thank you for the privilege of stewarding them until you release them into your great kingdom plan for their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Could all of all say amen together? Amen. amen. Last week, Pastor TJ introduced our greatest gift offering coming up on December 14th. See, every year we provide an opportunity for you to give and to invest in what God is doing in and through Coastal. This year, we want to invest in the next generation, but not only here at our church, but across the world. See, God's doing incredible things in Tubalisha, Africa. A couple years ago, we were able to lock arms with a pastor and his wife that have such passion to reach the next generation. See, they had so much vision and so much passion that they were taking money out of their own pocket to feed 70 and 80 kids a day a warm, hot meal. See, these were kids that may not eat all day or all week, but seven days a week, they were investing in the next generation. And as we met this pastor and his wife and we got to know them and we saw their heart and their vision, we couldn't help but get involved in what God was doing through them. 
And so as a church, we've partnered with them. And now through that partnership, we are feeding around 300 kids seven days a week. See, this isn't just a warm meal that we're providing. We are providing hope. We are providing just strength for the future of this next generation. I was just in Africa a few weeks ago and got to see firsthand the impact that we are making in this community. And I was able to shoot a short clip of a piece of land that we have the opportunity to move forward and to feed more and more kids. So this is the care point or the land that we've purchased that eventually we're going to put a care point on that's going to feed hundreds of kids every single day. So as you can see, they've just put up a fence here. And eventually, as we're raising money for our greatest gift campaign, we're going to be building a shelter that has a place for them to cook meals every day and to care for the kids. So thank you so much for being part of what's happening here in South Africa. What we're asking you to do through the greatest gift offering coming up on December 14th is simply to pray about how God would want you to be a part of what we're doing here at Coastal to reach the next generation, not just in our local community, but also across the world.